We will continue on in Philippians today. Philippians 1, verses 27 through verse 30. In 2010, there was a survey that was released that is quite interesting. The surveys of 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80 were questioned about their life and how many times a week they read the Bible. And the findings are this. People, believers, that read the Bible once a week, there is no visible change in their life. People that read the Bible two times a week, there is no noticeable change in their life. People that read the Bible three times a week, there is just a little movement, not enough really to perhaps celebrate as any kind of great change, but just a little bit of movement. However, in their survey, they discovered in their study that, that people that read the Bible four times a week, the change that happened in the people's lives was extraordinary. It just, the meter jumped off the chart. And, and the only thing I know to think about what that's like is almost like, you know, the earthquake scale. One, two, three, and then there's, and I don't know the exact numbers, but don't, don't, don't worry about that. One, two, three, four, and then like the, on the Richter scale, five, whoo, quite significant, six, seven. Really, there's a time in that earthquake that there's a huge difference between an earthquake at this number and the next number. It really does jump off the page. Something to think about. Obviously, if you've been here the last two or three Sundays, you have said, has he lost his mind? Yes, he's lost his mind. Have I said that before? Yes, I've said it before. Will I say it again? Lord willing, yes. Why? Why am I telling you that? Because it says that if you read the Bible four times a week, you will enjoy your life. If you read the Bible four times a week, some of the issues that you struggle with, you're going to have some weapons to help you. That's what that study says. It talks about people that have troubles with pornography and troubles with different addictions and trouble with, with uh, uh, greed and other sins, that after reading the Bible four times a week on a regular basis, they began to have some real help with those issues they struggle with. Now, as a pastor, okay, I, I've been assigned to be a pastor. That's what the Lord wanted me to do, I reckon. Been doing it a long time. When I hear something that helps people, that helps you, when I read something in the scripture that speaks about spiritual growth in believers, uh, my heart jumps. There's a burn. There's a, there's a stirring in my spirit. When, when I was reading Philippians, and we've already talked about it the last two or three weeks, where Paul talks about that what he wants is that people will grow in faith and joy. That burned in me. I want that for you. 
I want that for every single one of you. I, I want you to grow in faith and joy. That, that moves me. When, when I left the men's retreat yesterday, we had a great group, great teacher. Man, he's awesome. And, and he taught things that every one of us need to hear and need to know. And it, it spoke to my heart so much yesterday that, that when I left, I was on cloud nine because the 50 or 60 men that were there, they heard what they need to hear to help them grow in faith and grow in joy. And, and man, my heart just jumped. So I'm going to be like the Tasmanian devil. I want you to read the Bible at least four times a week. You know why? Because you will grow in faith and joy, and I want that for you. You will grow in strength. You will grow in optimism. You will grow in hope. You will grow in gentleness. You will grow in grace. You will grow in patience. Wow, how great that would be. You would grow in peace. And, and, and this year, towards the end of this year, after that, that growth happens for you that aren't presently reading the Bible four times a week, for those that already are experiencing that, it's just an encouragement for you to read the Bible, keep on reading the Bible, keep on doing what you're doing, right? I'm not assuming that everyone's not doing it. I just want those who are not doing it to start doing it and to remind you who are doing it to keep on doing it. And, and towards the end of this year, you will see a noticeable difference in your world. How you approach things, your perspective, your, your optimism will grow. How you handle problems will change. You will become prayer warriors. You, you'll, you'll start to worship with all your heart again, perhaps. You, you will start to experience things that at this present time, if you're not reading the Bible four times a week, you're not going to experience. Now, what about seven days a week? Absolutely, of course. But in the growth thing, one, no, two, no, three, small, four, the dynamite explodes. Five, about the same. Six, a little bit better, not about the same in the survey. Seven, about the same. So that for whatever reason, I don't know if it's scientific. The study said it was scientific, but I don't understand all those things. And so I just take their word for it. But I do know from personal experience that when I'm reading the Bible like I need to be, when I'm praying like I need to be, there's a difference. And so I think it's legit. Now, why it's four, I don't know. Why not three? I don't know. Maybe for some it's three times a week. I don't know. It, it, to me, all that doesn't matter. What matters is, is that God's people get in the Scripture and read. How do you read? Where do you start? It doesn't matter. I wouldn't start in Leviticus first time. I wouldn't start Deuteronomy. You know, the gospel of John works. And I've shared with you Philippians. Man, if you would just read the whole book of Philippians every day for 30 days, whew, what a jump start that would be to your life and your world. So how many times a week? Four. Hallelujah. I heard two stories this week, very interesting, of people once in a doctor's office, people that don't know, sharing about reading the Bible four times a week. And someone says, yeah, I heard that at my church, sure enough. Whoa, that's cold-blooded. That's cool. And, and I heard another story where they were in a situation, and, and the subject came up, and the people said, man, about reading four times a week. And the person they were talking to said, I think I'm going to do that. So an, an, a movement four times a week. So 
pretty soon, when I start telling the story, you're going to tell it. And you're going to start me the words. And, and, and if you get bored with it, tough. <laughs> tough. That's going to be all good. All right. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Boy, this is some good scripture here. This is scripture every pastor wants his people to believe, to apply, to obey. This is, this is good, good stuff. Verse 27, only, I think the New Living Translation says, above all things. I think other translation says, this one thing. I think Eugene Peterson in the message says, just this one thing. Singular, heightened focus. Only one thing, above all things, only, Paul says, let your manner of life, that would be conduct, how you live, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner, only let your manner of life be worthy. The word worthy means to balance the beam. Now, it is a word that describes that when you put weight on a scale, whatever the object is that you're weighing balances out on the scale. Now, this is what it's saying to us, this, that the gospel is believed and applied. And we live worthy of the gospel, not speaking about perfection, because you can take that scripture and say, if it means to live worthy of the gospel, I'm going to quit right now because there's no way in the world I can live worthy of the gospel. I'm never going to balance that beam. But, but what Paul's talking about here is the gospel has done so much in your life that you are going to live willingly to be worthy of what God's done for you. Think about the gospel for a moment. We were, before the gospel, we were lost. We were in our sin. We were hopeless. We were in the line to experience eternal judgment. Not just judgment, eternal judgment. Forever and ever and ever, we are going to be punished because we had not been born again. That's the scripture. It's what it tells us. But we believed in what Jesus did for us on the cross, not by human effort. Well, we believed in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and now we're found. Now we're forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. We're no longer alien, alienated from God. We are family. We are brothers and sisters under the Lord. We are no longer in our sin. We are now spiritually alive versus spiritually dead. And that's what has happened to us when we believed in Jesus and the gospel takes hold of our life. And so we live in a way of want to versus have to. Want to versus you got to do it. You better do it. You have to do it. And so because of what Jesus has done for us through the good news, then we want to live for him. And, and we are going to live worthy. We are going to do all we can out of gratitude and thankfulness to live for Christ because of what he's done for us. And there's grace in that. 
but there's going to be a great deal of want to. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says, one thing only, just one thing, let your man of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, so we're going to live it on our own regardless of our accountability. You need to be accountable. But just when Paul's there, we're going to live worthy of the gospel. No, even when Paul's not there, he wants to live worthy of the gospel. And he says, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, standing with convictions, standing firm about what's right and wrong, standing firm in, in what the gospel has done for us. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wants the Philippian believers to be united, not divided. He wants them to be one. He wants them to stand strong together. He wants them to be of one mind, of one spirit, and and standing side by side powerfully with strength for the gospel. That's what he wants. That's what he wants of us. We are to stand side by side. We are to love God so much that we stand side by side. We are to be so thankful for the gospel, for what it's done for us. We stand side by side. We hold on to each other. We help each other. We, we belong to each other for the gospel, because of the gospel. Mighty army, a mighty team, a mighty family that holds on to each other That's to be the body of Christ because of the gospel, because of the gospel. The next verse, verse 28, he says, and not frightened. We are not to be scared. We are not to be frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, hearing this from Paul, (laughs) it's got to have an extra oomph to it, right? Man, they know about Paul. They know what he's gone through. They know what he's going through. They know that he has many, many opponents, enemies. And so he says, I don't want you to be frightened because of the gospel. Because the gospel, don't be frightened. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So we are to live strong. We are to live without fear. And when God's people live because of the gospel, we live without fear. The opponents have nowhere to go. Now, Satan, he loves for God's people to be afraid and to cower down. He loves that. He's got them. He loves it when God's people are afraid of him, are afraid of the enemy, are afraid of being rejected, are afraid of being canceled in our world's vocabulary, are afraid of of hiding. Satan loves that. But when God's people don't hide, when God's people don't exhibit fear, they have nowhere to go. They give up, they give in because of the power that we have through Christ because of the gospel. Now, in in Revelation chapter 12, the revelation is speaking about the dragon, which is Satan. 
And there's a scripture, there's one verse in there that I think is really important for us to understand, Revelation 12, 11, and speaking about how the dragon attacks God's people and, and how the war rages. And, and, and it gives some descriptions of the enemy being the dragon or Satan. And in Revelation 12, 11, John speaks about how the believers through the power of Christ, of course, and through his strength, are able to defeat Satan. And so we can apply that to this situation here. How do we defeat the opponent? As a pastor, once again, I want you to hear this because this is what the Scripture says. This can make a difference in your life. It can help you. He gives three reasons, three ways, three weapons that every believer has to help us defeat Satan. First of all, he says... They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. Now, in application, this is what it means. Because the believers understood that they have been completely forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross, they have a weapon that's mighty. They know that they're secure. They know that there's no condemnation for them. They are unfettered to be able to live strong in opposition to Satan because they have a solid ground, a solid foundation, and that is through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ means we're secure. The blood of Christ means that we do not have to work our way to being right with God. The blood of Christ means we can just let the stress and the pressure go because we are already victorious in Christ. We have already won. So the blood of the Lamb, the second one he gives here, and by the word of their testimony, by the word of their testimony. A testimony is something that you just can't take away from someone that's experienced the Lord's work. A testimony. And when you share that testimony, of what Jesus has done for you, about the gospel, how it's penetrated your heart, and how the gospel has changed you. That you, people can argue creation, they can argue this or that and the other, they can argue the hypocrisy of the leadership in the church, they can argue all those things. They're all arguable. They're they're all open for arguments, right? They get it. But your testimony. They can't really argue with that. They may try to, but they can't because it's what's happened to you, and it can't be taken away. Now, uh, when people say they don't really have a powerful testimony, if you've accepted Christ and you've been born again and your sins have been forgiven and you are experiencing any form or fashion of life change, you do have a powerful testimony. You are wrong to think you don't have a great testimony. Every testimony is great because every testimony defeats Satan. Every testimony defeats our opponent. It does. So the first thing was the blood of Christ. The second one is that their testimony. And, and then look at the next one, the final one, the third one. John says, for they loved not their lives. Even unto death. There's something about that. There's something spiritual. There's something powerful that, that shakes the rafters of this whole world. 
when the Lord's people are not afraid to die because of the gospel. You just can't take their life away from them because they know that where they are going and they are secure in that. You can't take something away from someone that's already given everything away. And that's what he's describing here. Don't be afraid because of the gospel. Don't be afraid of our opponents. And then in verse 29, he says to us here, Oh, struggler, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Wow. Come follow Jesus and you might suffer. Not a good, not a good seemingly advertisement, is it, to come to faith in Christ? Something must happen, right? For this to be true, that God's people are going to grow to a place to where they realize the blessing of suffering for his sake. The blessing of suffering for his sake. The speaker yesterday, Gary, uh, said to us that there are three things that happen when we share our faith with people. Three things happen. One, they receive it. Number two, you plant seeds. Number three, they get real hostile. They reject you. They yell at you. They scream at you. They slam the door on your face. And he was saying that all three things are wins. You're thinking, wait a minute, it's a win if they receive Christ. It's a win if we plant seeds that later may, you know, grow and develop. But there's no way in the world it's a win if they get mad at you and hurt your feelings and reject you and slam the door in your face and go get a ball-peen hammer and come running after you. That's not a win. He said, it is a win because Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Matter of fact, he said, jump for joy when you're persecuted because it's a good thing because the heavens are going to rejoice and shout because you're willing to suffer for Jesus with Jesus. And that's what happens when we embrace Christ. The gospel means that much to us. The eternal reward is that much to us. The eternal destiny of people means that much to us that in all three things, there's nothing but wins. Listen to this verse of scripture to help you be willing to suffer for Christ's sake and for the gospel. Romans 8, 18. Paul says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. What we suffer now is nothing compared to what we're going to get in heaven. Leap for joy when you suffer now. Opportunity to share the gospel. Matter of fact, a suffering believer has a powerful testimony if they're living for Christ. People may be open to hear. As we talked about last week, when we are going through hard times, we, that may be the greatest amount of leverage we've ever had to share the good news with someone. Take advantage of that. Be willing to suffer for Christ for his glory. Let it fly. Obviously, 
God uses suffering for Christ to advance the gospel. Paul says it, and we've seen it in our life. You know that's true. You know that it's it's difficult to explain, but it's true. And then the last thing we see here in verse 30. Engaged, past tense. Engaged, present tense. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is saying to us that believers are not to be spectators. You are not to just to come to church. You are to be a servant of the Lord. Every single one of us is to be engaged because of the gospel. We all don't do the same thing. We all don't have the same gifts. We all have different assignments. But we are all to do those assignments because of the gospel. For some of you, it may mean that you go on one of the mission trips. For some of you, it may mean that you serve the Lord here with Center of Hope. For some of you, it means as simple as you're helping your neighbors. You're helping people at work. You're you're always living for the gospel and trying to share the good news with as many people as you can. All of us is going to have an assignment. It's important that we all do that assignment. We all are to be engaged. Now, I was thinking about this week, all the things that uh, these Philippian Christians, either with firsthand knowledge or at least good secondhand knowledge, understood that Paul went through hardship for and that Paul was engaged in conflict for the sake of the gospel. I think about there in Philippi when 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 uh, the demon was cast out of the of the slave girl and and the market people came they just got sideways with it all and and uh, they put him in jail and they praised the Lord and they sang and they worshipped and the chains fell off them and the gate came open and the guard that's outside the jail said my 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 what must I do to be saved first of all he wanted to kill himself. Because, oh, he's in, a, he's in a world of hurt. In Thessalonica, which with the Greeks call Thessaloniki, second largest city in, in Greece. There in Thessaloniki, the Jews put together a mob. Paul was going to the synagogues preaching Christ. And, and they'd had enough of it. And Paul was staying in Jason's house. From the book of Acts, we get this story. And the mob came to arrest him, and Paul had to escape. Paul had to escape. Thank goodness Jason had the bail money to get himself out of jail. In Corinth, he experienced much opposition. He experienced so much opposition in Corinth, and he stayed there a long time, going to the synagogue and preaching, that Jesus came to him a dream. And I reckon he realized that Paul was about to leave. It was just getting to be too difficult. And Jesus came to dream and says, Paul, hang in there, man. Keep on preaching. Don't stop. I got lots of people here for you. And and what a beautiful story that is to encourage Paul to keep on. And then we know that his preaching in Ephesus is just right across the Asian Sea. It, It was so reviled to the people. And, and you remember the story of the Greek, I mean, the god Artemis and all that was going on. And, and, and Paul was cutting into their idolatry uh, business where they were selling their things to people to nod to and things like that. And, 
And Paul spent three months preaching in Ephesus, and it got so bad for the non-believers that a riot happened. Man, wouldn't it be great to have a church service and a riot jumps out? That's what happened with Paul in Ephesus. They heard all these things. They had heard all these things. And so when Paul stands up and says, man, be faithful to the gospel, engage in the conflict for the glory of God, man, you you can believe him. Now, the reason we worship is because of the gospel. The reason we obey is because of the gospel. The reason we are stewards, we tithe, we give offerings is because of the gospel. The reason why we witness to other people is because of the gospel. The reason why we pray is because of the gospel. The reason why we read the Bible at least, thank you, four times a week is because of the gospel. The reason why we connect with other brothers and sisters in the Lord is because of the gospel. The reason why we are involved in a small group is because of the gospel. The reason why we're willing to sacrifice for the gospel is because of the gospel. The reason why we're willing to suffer for Christ and we're not going to run from persecution and we're going to leap for joy when we're persecuted is the gospel. The reason why we love is the gospel. The reason why we forgive is because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, we don't have to. We get to. We don't have to. We get to. I pray the Holy Spirit is speaking to every single one of us in here. Because of the gospel, I'm going to live in a way that's worthy of what Jesus has done for me. Father, may your will be done today. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing a group together to worship you today and study your word and just spend time with each other. May your spirit speak to us. May your spirit burn in us today. May your spirit cause us to think what we need to think. May your spirit work in us in a way that we are all refueled re-energize for your glory. And Lord, help us to follow the application here that we live worthy of you because of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.